Well, let's come to the Word now. This is a short passage that I will read. This is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. This is your Lord Jesus speaking to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, thank you that we can come into your presence through the work of our Lord Jesus. And thank you that we can have victory, we can rejoice, that we can hear your word now, oh, that we would be faithful disciples who want to learn. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law, because we love your law, and we delight in it. So we commit ourselves to you now. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you can see, the theme this morning is rest. Rest. Rest even in battle. And I was talking with Todd Adams. Many of you know Todd Adams, probably about two weeks ago. I was talking with Todd just how things are going in his life. And he mentioned in his counseling, and he travels a lot. He's mostly counseling uh, believers, uh, but he travels a lot. He talks to a lot of people. And his comment when I asked him how things are going is that he has noticed a large increase in his ministry, uh, what he would call a sense of unrest. And he sees a lot of people. And in some ways it seems that it's become clear to uh, all of us, to many Christians in this land, that we are indeed in a battle on several fronts. And if you ask people, about rest, you know, what gives them rest, what causes them to rest, what do you think they say? Maybe you haven't done that for a while. It'd be interesting to, to do that. Or what would they say is rest, even? And some might think of vacations, that's probably the first thing people think of. And I'm not sure about you, but some of our vacations, I think I've shared this before, that uh, we came back and I needed to rest from my vacation. Uh, so it was restful physically, you know, and it was a change of pace, uh, but it wasn't necessarily restful, certainly not the kind I'm talking about here today. And apparently Americans don't really rest compared to other uh, countries. And this is a, something I looked at a few, some years ago, but I think it's roughly the same. In this article I read, it said the Italians average 42 days of paid vacation a year. Whoa. France has 37, Germany has 36, Canada 26, Japan 25, and the U.S. 13. And it said only 57% of us take all 13. So if your definition of rest is vacations, hmm, I don't know how we're doing there. Now, some might say that rest is the absence of something, the absence of work or the absence of labor or the absence of struggle or even of battles. And yet God made us, brothers and sisters, to work. He made us to be actively living by faith, to be exercising or training ourselves in godliness. He has called us to wage war, in fact, against our enemies. And he made us to be active in the battle with the world, uh, with our own sin, our flesh, and with the devil. And he gave us, praise God, the weapons to do that. Our theme this year, the elders have talked about this several months ago, our theme will be on spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Now, we will always be battling. 
of course, against our own sinful desires, and it would seem more directly, maybe more overtly than we have been aware for some years in this country, against the world's uh, system, worldly systems around us, uh, and against our own culture, and certainly also with the devices of the devil. Now, you all were given, or every household was given a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices. I won't ask if anybody's finished it yet. Uh, it's, it's not a really easy read in one sense, but it talks about these devices that Satan has to trip us up. And Thomas Brooks wrote this, and he's a Puritan. Uh, Thomas Brooks wrote this, and the main verse in the beginning of this book uh, is from 2 Corinthians 2, and it's Paul. Paul uh, said that we should not be, or we are not ignorant of his devices. He is very clever. He has many devices. And yet, praise God, there are many remedies in the Bible, and he really writes this well. I would recommend that you don't try to sit and read that at one reading. Uh, probably won't happen. Uh, and it's divided into small sections anyway. So it has these devices, and then he has a number of these remedies. And it's, I would suggest that you go through it in your quiet times. It's a great blessing. You will probably have to go through it slowly. But I was thinking, too, of the great blessing it would be is if as a church, generally, basically, we'll all be in different places, work through this book slowly. And we'll, we'll all be working through this book on how to engage in warfare with the devil. Certainly he's attacking us as a body also. And so we should think about these precious remedies against Satan's devices together. Now, I'm not going to require it, of course, but I think it would be a blessing if we were uh, reading this together, little by little, throughout the year. And we do pray, as your elders, that this would be a blessing and a help in dealing with the enemy, who's always prowling. You may not always be aware of it, but he is always prowling. And so may, may the Lord use this. And in it, Brooks, uh, of course, gives these devices to battle against our enemy, because the enemy is trying to hinder us always. And then these remedies can be a great blessing. Well, in this short passage here, we will see, I believe, what is the true rest that we have as believers, or actually, more accurately, who is our true rest. And then we'll, I pray, gain, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how we gain this rest, even uh, as we're engaging in battles, and then what it's like when we have this inner rest. So the context is, Lord Jesus is speaking to the multitudes in chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Jesus was speaking to the multitudes, a large a group. And then he prayed to the Father in their hearing, and he prayed for them in verse 25. And then moving on, we see the invitation, the calling to rest that Jesus has given us. He said, come to me. Come to me. And that is from the only source of rest we will ever know, the Lord Jesus Christ. To those who are weary, to those who are burdened, and to those who are heavy laden, and specifically to those who will, by his grace, find rest in him. Those who come to him will find rest in him. Our Lord Jesus said this. This is in John chapter 6, verse 37. All, that means everyone, all that the Father gives to me will, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And that has a double negative there, which means... It's like saying, I will never, never throw the person out who comes to me. Or on the, on the positive side, I will certainly, certainly welcome them to come to me when they do. 
So by saying, come to me, Jesus was inviting people to believe in him and find rest in him. And he addressed this to the weak and to the weary, uh, to the multitudes there. To those laboring and burdened, they were really loaded down. Now labor here, that word labor, means to toil to the point of weariness and exhaustion. I'm just a little tired here. Toil to the point of weariness and exhaustion. And this happens when we are fighting, as we should be. It does happen. We should be aware of that and ready for that. And it happens in the struggles that sometimes seem to go on and on in the certain periods of our life. Now, the word heavy laden here means un, it's an unbearable burden. It's an oppressive weight. Again, not just a little bit. Thus, the picture you see there of Christian with the big burden. It's an unbearable burden. It's oppressive. The Lord didn't invite the strong, and he didn't invite those who think they're strong, like the Pharisees. Historically, he was speaking to the very burdened people of Israel. He's speaking to the multitudes. And there was the burden for them of keeping the ceremonial law. And then the scribes and Pharisees burdened them with extra demands and minute details. They were greatly burdened. Jesus told the multitudes about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and in no uncertain words uh, did he say, I don't, that is not what I, I want, that is not what I like. And he said, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So then Jesus went on to say, all their works they do to be seen by men. That was their motivation, pride, pride and a desire to control, really. And that is what I believe legalists do, and that is what tyrants do. Kind of like governors or mayors who pile on mandates, but they don't follow them. And we've seen that recently. And then when some of the Judaizers in the early church said uh, that you know, all new converts should be circumcised, Peter told the apostles this in Acts 15. Again, in no uncertain terms, he said, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Here's these pile more burdens on those people. And Paul urged, us, urged the Galatians he said, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Now, we're still yoked, and I'll explain that in a minute, but that yoke is a yoke of freedom. Stand fast in that, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. The yoke of the ceremonial law was heavy, and the Pharisees added to it by their traditions, uh, which were very oppressive. And we must resist the tendency to go back to anything, or to add burdens to ourselves or to others uh, in place of Christ for our righteousness. To be yoked to someone else or something else is terrible. We will only be more burdened and we will not experience the soul rest that's promised in Jesus that is the point of this sermon. One thing I can tell you right now that is not burdensome are the Lord's commands. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. There is freedom in the Word of God. Keeping His commandments, in other words, in this illustration, pulling the yoke in the direction the Lord is going, which is certainly what He wants us to do with His Word, pulling in that direction is not burdensome. It's called the law of liberty for a reason. And so actually we are liberated, brothers and sisters, by being yoked with the Lord Jesus. 
And then we are free, we are able to keep the commandments and by that to face our enemies. The invitation, come to me, Jesus said, is the good news. Good news we've heard. We hear it every Lord's Day. We see it in the table as Ray shared. The feasting is part of our victory. Praise God. So the call of the gospel is to be proclaimed to all people. Anyone the Lord puts into our sphere of influence. That there is hope and life and redemption only in Jesus. And he alone can take away the burden. He can take away the penalty of of our sin. And Lord Jesus is also speaking to us now, today, right now. We who have come to Christ, he made that invitation. We came to him. And he's still saying, come to me. Jesus alone can give us rest from the burdens daily. Rest from the, the enemies, the devil's relentless attacks upon us. Rest from the world's hatred and its enmity, which I believe we will see more overtly. We have. And rest from the weakness of uh, the battle with our own sinful natures, the unsanctified flesh. And so the invitation to come to Jesus is to all who labor and are heavy, heavy laden. There are many, the multitudes don't know how burdened they are even. The multitudes, are, they're like harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And this calling, praise God, is effectual in his children, in his sheep. So regarding this labor of being heavily burdened, this labor that we sometimes have, and it says to all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I, I did think of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. You know, he came to the cross, and that huge thing on his back there fell off, and the journey to the celestial city was very tiring and difficult, in fact, impossible, with the burden of his sin and his guilt upon him. And our spiritual battles can indeed sometimes be very wearying. They can wear us out. If attempted, certainly on our own, they will wear us out. Are you weary, dear brother and sister, are you weary right now from the battle against the world, the flesh, and and the devil? Are you trying to find rest in these battles, which is possible, without coming to Jesus? Only with him can you find that soul level of rest. And are you telling others who are burdened They're all around us. Those not yoked with Jesus, yoked with something terrible, that they can only find rest in Christ alone. And we have the joy of being messengers, of passing on this invitation that Jesus has given to us through the gospel. And may the Lord give us compassion here. May we have compassion on those who are around us, who are greatly burdened. I don't know if you've seen lately, but the suicide rate is astronomical in some states at this time. Many people are saying, I can't deal with the burden. So may we have eyes to see those who are burdened with fear and with grief and with a guilty conscience. Two verses in Revelation 14 I'd like to share here. Revelation 14, 11 is about those who don't know Christ. So picture this, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. No rest day and night forever is hell. And then in contrast, two verses later, Revelation 14, 13 says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Oh, what a blessing. 
Those who die in the Lord have an eternal rest from their labors and the result of their labor with the Lord while they're yoked with him in this life who, who follow, will follow them, it says. And this, I believe, is one way of looking of how we lay up treasures in heaven. Labor with the Lord in his yoke and your works will follow you. He even adds blessing to you in that. And so we have been invited, brothers and sisters, to come to Christ and to rest in him and we can also invite others uh, to come to him. May we do so. Verse 28 continues, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. He is the source of our rest, the source of a quiet soul. And Ray again shared from Psalm 23, and as our shepherd, it turns out he restores our soul. He is the one who does restore our soul. This is the rest at the soul level, uh, no matter what is happening around you. You can't have that kind of rest. Because verse 29 again confirms that you will find rest for your souls. This passage ends. Now what is this rest like? This rest that only he gives us. Well, first of all, this rest is not uh, a complete rest from labor or battles here and now, uh, or a, a time when there are no afflictions or trials, but it is actually an inner rest even during them. It shows the grace and the power of God in our lives, even in the midst of trials. And trials often for, force us, again, to realize where our rest is from. Many of the saints of old and the martyrs and those who are persecuted today have experienced or are experiencing a rest and a peace beyond understanding. So again, do you need restoring right now? Do you need refreshment in your soul? Do you need rest from your weariness or strength from your struggles? Well, whether for salvation or sanctification, you cannot carry that burden alone. You cannot achieve rest without the Lord Jesus Christ. You must come to him. Paul asked the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, do you think you can come to Jesus and answer his call by his grace and then find rest without him after that? So one of the major ways we learn to rest and we experience rest is as we rejoice together on the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. Sabbath means to rest, to cease from our labors. And this day should be a time to anticipate also our eternal rest. John Piper, I've shared this many times in Desiring God, he calls our life right now on this earth a vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. It's like that, it's a vapor's breath. But it is a preparation for eternity. Praise God, we're in a yoke in that preparation. And, all, and this day should be a taste of and a preparation for uh, our future rest. It's a time to rest from the battles that we faced so we can go out Monday morning, battle again. But for those in Israel during this time, this passage was written, the Sabbath had become much less a, a day of rest and joy as it should be. It, should, it wasn't a feast. It had become a burden with so many regulations and they had to work hard to try to rest. And following this passage in Matthew 12, Jesus deals with the legalism of the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. They had turned the Sabbath into a very unrestful day. The word rest in the Bible is also used of our final rest. Uh, sometimes you hear the phrase, he rested with his fathers. And we do rest when we die in the Lord, like I said in Revelation 14, where we rest in his presence, unhindered by sin. But Jesus is also our resting place now. And we must realize how much we need to come to him. Part of our rest now is in knowing that we will really fully understand rest in our eternal home with him. Perry knows this. 
Mardell knows this. And we are beginning now to experience our ultimate rest. Praise God. Deuteronomy 33, we, re- we recite this very, two or three times a year anyway in our covenant readings. Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge. In other words, it's the place of rest, the dwelling place of his people. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And so, again, you have been invited, invited to rest, to come to him who is the only source of true rest, our Lord Jesus. And you can have this rest only by faith in him. Secondly, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as we walk <clears throat> with the Lord, as we engage in battle, uh, and that is to submit to the Lord's will and to his authority. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, the Lord Jesus said. And besides come, these are the other two Uh, key action words of this passage. Come, take, and learn. So the crowds Jesus spoke to would, I I believe, clearly have understood how yokes are used. And maybe Jesus even made some with his earthly father. So the yoke, of course, was used to connect uh, animals to an implement uh, like a plow or a a wagon or something to to be able to labor productively for their master. And we're told to take his yoke and serve him. We are told to also take up our cross, which is another wooden structure item, both to help us understand what it means to walk with Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take, again, take up his cross and follow me. The cross is an instrument of death, of death to our selfish and sinful ways. So the Lord is saying, come and die. Come and deny yourself. And then the yoke is a symbol of constant uh, union with the Lord on this side of heaven. Constant union with the Lord and of submission to him in order to serve him until he calls us home. So he's calling us to come and and to serve. Now I'm not an expert on yokes. My expertise is just limited by the two chapters I read years ago from Little House on the Prairie. That's my expertise on yokes. I don't know much. I did a little research uh, for this sermon. Um, but usually I learned, I learned that usually two animals are yoked together. Uh, usually one is stronger, wiser, more experienced, uh, and calmer than the other. And the inexperienced horses or oxen are yoked with experienced horses to train them. And so they won't get injured. And so they will be more productive. There's a good reason for yokes. And we begin to take this yoke by faith, brothers and sisters, as we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as we are converted, and we continue to take this yoke. In other words, we accept it. And we're already in it, by the way, but we accept it willingly, this yoke, by obedience and submission to his will, which is also by faith. And so as paradoxical as it may seem, true rest and true freedom and true strength in the battle are only found when we're yoked. Kind of hard to picture that, I suppose. Battling without this kind of rest and this depth of communion with the Lord Jesus would be a very dangerous thing to do, very tiring and largely ineffectual. Charles Spurgeon said, we are to take this yoke upon us voluntarily, I mean willingly, he means, with a heart to do so, 
You observe it does not say, bear my yoke when it is laid upon you, but take it. Do not merely submit to be the Lord's servant, but seek his service. In other words, to seek actively to serve him. Ask, what can I do to the Lord? Be desirous to do it voluntarily, cheerfully. Do all that lies in you for the extension of his kingdom who has given you rest. And you shall find that, this is the point, the rest of your soul, that's the deep rest I'm talking about here, the rest of your soul shall lie in your doing all you can for Jesus. So this kind of true and lasting rest is not by, again, inactivity or lack of service or laziness for sure or a retreat from our battles that we are bound to face. We are now responsible and able by the grace of God to take initiative and to walk by faith and to make our calling and election sure to attack the enemy or to defend against attack as because we are yoked with him. And then the third action here, after coming to Jesus and after taking his yoke, or in other words, accepting it willingly, saying, yes, I'm glad I'm yoked, is to learn from me, Jesus said. This is the word for a disciple or the word for a learner. He said, learn from me. So one who walks in the yoke with his master to learn and learns to act as his master acts and learns to think as his master thinks, that's what we want. Praise God, we're yoked with him. He wants to train us that way. Are you learning willingly now? I mean, right now in your life. Are you learning willingly now? Or are you pulling against the yoke in some area by not learning or by not being teachable? Do you have a teachable heart? One submissive to what the Lord wants you to learn now and what he's, uh, what he wants you to, what he's trying to teach you right now in the yoke. Now, we're usually somewhat blind to our being unteachable, right? So we need to let others speak into our lives. Certainly, the word of God must speak into our life the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. But we are here and we should be willing to speak into others' lives and willing to receive it. We must ask our master Uh, always also to give us a teachable heart. So rest and discipleship, uh, walking with the Lord, go together. The sovereign election of God and the rest which comes from this grace goes with our responsibility to learn from him always and to continue to grow in grace, to train ourselves in godliness and be willing to be trained by him, whatever that means, as we walk with him, as we're yoked with him. Learning as a disciple, in the Hebrew way anyway, Uh, of learning is not just academic, it's not just uh, intellectual, it involves following and it involves taking action. Resting in the Lord goes with working with the Lord in the yoke. The disciple actively applies his learning. So is God sovereign? Yes. Are you responsible to grow in him and does this involve labor and learning? Yes. If you think you can find rest in the Lord by not laboring again or not disciplining yourself or not submitting to discipline or not being a learner, or being, uh, not being active in spiritual warfare, you will not be walking in the depth of the rest. You will not find it, which the Lord promises here. And so you gain rest daily by submitting and obeying as a servant to the Lord Jesus and by submitting and obeying as a student, as a disciple. So take his yoke, learn from him. And the result will be, you will become like him, praise God. You'll be like the one with whom you're yoked as you labor and do battle. And you will find rest for your souls. The character of our Lord is being developed in us as we walk with him. 
And we will be more Christ-like as we are close to him, near to him. We'll be more like our Lord who knew perfect rest in doing the will of God, the will of his Father. Verse 29 says, For I am gentle and lowly of heart. I think there are very few places that I understand in the New Testament where Jesus kind of says, this is what my heart is like. This is a picture of my heart. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He is meek, loving, compassionate, humble. And he deals, praise God, with repentant and obedient hearts gently, compassionately, as we, of course, should deal with others with gentleness and meekness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, in Ephesians 4, 32. About four months ago, I bought a, another book. I'm selling books today, I guess. A, another book. This is by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. I think it was about four months ago, maybe five months ago. And it had to do with what Phil shared last week about seeking the Lord with all your heart. And I, as far as I remember, I was having joyful, quiet times. I was consistent in them. I was in the word. I was being fed. I, I, and yet, uh, I knew, you know, it's like that sometimes, but I knew at that stage, uh, Lord, I, I, I want to know you. I want to rejoice in you. I want to commune with you. And I wasn't, I think. I wasn't, I, I was, yes, I was going through the motions and Lord still blessed me because he's so good to me. So I bought this book. Because I saw an ad for it. And I thought, gentle and lowly. I think I need to understand the heart of Jesus more. And it's been a great blessing. It really has. Turns out it's one of the best-selling books for pastors right now. Hey, I didn't know that. Isn't why I bought it. And Dane Ortland pointed out uh, the key thought here. And one of the key thoughts in the book was Jesus is accessible. And he said it this way. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Think about that. He's saying, come, through us, too. In 1651, Thomas Goodwin, the, uh, another Puritan, he wrote a book called The Heart of Jesus, which is probably on my list after this. This is on uh, Hebrews, uh, uh, one part of a verse from Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's got a big book on that, those few words. And he said this, similar, we are apt to think, you know, as believers, we are apt to think that he, that is the Lord Jesus, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear with them. And how does he put up with us? We may think that way. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. And Ortland said that if we, if we are asked to buy someone, to say only one thing about who Jesus is. So for example, somebody comes up, who is Jesus? Okay, they don't know maybe anything, you know, and what are you gonna tell them? Well, there are many things that could come to your mind. Well, son of God, of course, and there are many things you could say. But he said, if, if someone came up, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching here if our answer is gentle and lowly. At least it began that way. You ever started sharing the gospel? Okay, he's, yeah, he is a God of wrath against, he hates sin. But he's gentle and lowly. His loving, loving, he lovingly trains us and he trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle, like David. He leads us and he guides us as we are yoked with him. 
Now, being yoked with the Lord of all might, the Lord and the captain of our souls, the Lord of hosts, who defeated all our enemies, he defeated Satan, sin, and death, is the safest place to be in a battle. And being in the yoke with him is indeed the place of strength. 1 Peter 3 refers to this kind of heart also. And there, in that passage, it was talking about the impact of a, of a submissive wife and about a gentle and quiet spirit, very similar. So rather than an outward show, the Lord through Peter there said, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty or the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This kind of heart is precious. A gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the heart of God, in the sight of God. And the Lord desires this kind of heart in all of us. And he's developing it in us as we come to him, as we take his yoke and accept it, as we learn from the one who has all the experience and all the power and all the wisdom and all the holy purpose that we need to defeat our enemies. But, brothers and sisters, if we chafe at the yoke, you know, the Lord is going this way, we chafe at the yoke, and we try to go our own way, and we try to pull against him, of course we will become weary until we submit to him. He disciples those whom he loves, and he will train us by his yoke. He is a faithful trainer and a loving one. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Praise God that he teaches very differently than the world teaches or worldly teachers teach. It's much easier to learn, isn't it, from a teacher who's gentle and humble. And yes, they know exactly what they want to teach. They're firm and they're loving, but they're gentle and lowly. Our Lord Jesus is the Almighty One, and yet he's gentle and humble. And being yoked to him can be a joy. It should be a joy. And it brings freedom from burdens. Yoked with him, we need not carry them alone. You know, if we try, it's, you know, why do we do that still? We need not carry those. We should cast them on him. We need not and should not even think of engaging in spiritual warfare alone. And that means without each other also, your yoke fellows. Praise God, he teaches very differently than the world. Well, we are able now to work with power and with godly purpose as we delight in being yoked with him. But the flesh, of course, it wants what it calls freedom, which is really no freedom at all. Jesus was not harsh. He was not overbearing. He was not oppressive in his teaching like the Pharisees were. He was meek and he was gentle in his education and in his discipline also. His laws were reason are reasonable. As I also men already mentioned, they're burden not burdensome and we can learn from him without fear. Now, if we come become particularly rebellious at some point, in some way, and unwilling to learn a lesson, yes, he will discipline us in a loving way. He will be faithful in that. And we should be thankful that our teacher is gentle and humble and compassionate as he trains us, especially as we are not always the most willing students, right? And as we learn from him, we will become like him again. And then we will teach as he teaches, praise God. And we will defeat our enemies, as he teaches us to do that, as he did it. He will teach us how to defeat our enemies. Hebrews 12 is a passage on discipline, and it begins, no chastening or no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. So sometimes it does seem painful. 
Afterward, it says it yields the peaceful, peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if we're willing to be trained, there's a great result here. A peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness and godliness. The fruit or the result of growing in righteousness uh, as, a world, as a result of discipline and being yoked with the Lord is peaceable. It's restful, even in the face of our enemies. And maybe I'll just stop here. You all know we have enemies, right? And we've heard this many times. But I think sometimes we don't actually, we're not as aware of it. We don't think of it. We're not under some battles, maybe directly at this time that, we're, that we are thinking of. But we are. The devil's always prowling around. Our flesh always wars against growing in holiness. And look at our society. It wants us to conform to it. Being yoked with Jesus is being in a loving training program. Sometimes tough, but because of his grace, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Praise God. It yields growth in godliness, blessed service in the kingdom, and victory in our battles, for which we should give him, him alone all praise and thanks. Matthew Henry wrote this about Jesus' yoke. I think this is a very helpful picture here. Matthew Henry said, it is a yoke that is lined with love. So, you know, I mean, I think yokes are probably not really comfortable on this on the neck. Matthew Henry said, it is a yoke that is lined with love. So powerful, this is Matthew Henry, so powerful are the assistances that he gives us. In other words, he's always there in the yoke helping us. And so suitable are the encouragements he gives us. Okay, again, we're in the yoke and he's saying, I'm with you. Praise God. And so strong are the consolations he gives us He's, he's always saying, I will comfort you. You know, I'm with you. To be found in the way of duty that we may truly say it is a yoke of pleasantness. The way of duty is the way of rest. So, and then verse 29 goes on. You will find rest for your souls. You can actually experience true rest as you are yoked. You can actually find it. You can appropriate it. Not just know about it. And the result will be joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And direction, and power in your labors in his kingdom. Each day he guides us by his gentle and his love-lined yoke as we submit to him. Sometimes we have to just repent and quit pulling in the wrong direction. And pulling in the wrong direction against an almighty God is, you know, 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Opposing the proud is, opposing God is, Utterly foolish, of course. Another something I'd like to share. I believe I've not shared this for almost 10 years, I suppose. Back in the early 70s, and that is the 1970s, by the way, not the 1870s. I don't look that old, I think. So back in the early 70s, I was very desirous of rest. I didn't know that. I guess I wouldn't have used that term. And I needed direction in my life. I really did. I needed purpose in my life. I don't know what I, what am I doing, Lord? I was crying out to him. And so I was overjoyed to be yoked with him. Again, I didn't know that terminology. But praise God. He's willing to be yoked with me. So I learned that blessing. And I've pulled against the yoke some several times that are, clear markers in my life. Oh, I really pulled against him there. 
I'm right now, I'm not aware of doing that, but back in the early 90s, Sherry and I were in Japan. We had three children. <clears throat> I'd been in Japan nine years at that point. And back in 1972, I, I'd said back in 72, I said, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do wherever, whatever you want me to do. And I say that still, sometimes. And it's important to repeat that kind of submissive statement. But I, I struggled when it appeared like the Lord was leading us to come back. I, it didn't make sense to me. It wasn't logical. I, my degree is in missions. My heart is here. We seem to fit in Japan. and uh, It was really hard. And there were months there of I, I was uh, really not enjoying my communion with the Lord. Even though I was doing, meeting with him daily, I, I had no rest. And, and so finally I came to a point, certainly Sherry and I prayed, and I came to the point, I said, Lord, okay, I'll go back. I don't understand, but I'll go back to the United States. And I will tell you, that's again, one of those milestones that I know a burden was taken off. It was very clear then. My communion was so much joyful and I was coming to him in the way I wanted to. So that's one story in my life. Verse 30 concludes here, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this burden is nothing like the burdens of man-made or so-called salvation, which are just different forms of slavery. Now the word easy here is translated uh, as kind in some other context in scripture, kind. Like Ephesians 4.32, which I already quoted, be kind to one another. In other words, kind of be easy on one another. And while the, Lord, the Lord's yoke is not the crippling burden of a guilt-laden conscience, we are yoked, brothers and sisters, but it is light, it is a kind yoke, and we are never alone. Never. We will never be alone because we're yoked with him. And everyone is yoked. All people are either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. So being yoked to any other than Jesus is torture. And for some, being yoked to or controlled by the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life it becomes something like probably hell on earth. The enemy of our souls gladly and cleverly seeks to yoke people. He tempts people to take other yokes, which only enslave them to misery and to brokenness. Robert Coleman, in the book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, Phil just referenced this, I think, a few weeks ago, maybe last week. He said, no one knew better than Jesus that the satanic forces of darkness against them, that is, his disciples, were well organized and equipped to make ineffectual any half-hearted effort of evangelism. They could not possibly outwit, that's the disciples again, they could not possibly outwit the devilish powers of this world unless they gave strict adherence to him who alone knew the strategy of victory, as we must do. Praise God, we are yoked with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then through being in his body, as we are here, we are yoked to other Christians. And this kind of yoking is referred to in the scriptures, referred, uh, refers to marriage and to close relationships. We are not to be unequally yoked. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. So rejoice, dear saints, that you are yoked by faith to a kind and a loving master and teacher. And that you are yoked to each other 
And I am very thankful for that. We are yoked with each other. We are yoke fellows, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. So in conclusion, let's just review the action words, three action words. First of all, come to me. In other words, draw near to, God said, draw near to me. Draw near to God and I will draw near to you. And this is a continual invitation. And as you did at your conversion, so you must do daily. If you are to experience true rest, that is the rest for your soul, and if you're going to have strength and victory in spiritual warfare. Question is, do you daily come to him? And rejoice that you're yoked. Secondly, he said, take my yoke upon you. In other words, submit to him and obey his will, his pulling, if you will. Now, you are responsible to pull with him, by the way, in the yoke. It's all by grace, though. Uh, He could, of course, do all the pulling himself. But that is not his way. That's not the way he trains and he sanctifies us as his disciples. If we are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in this work with the Lord, in our labor with him, it, it will never be in vain. It can't be. We're yoked with him. Now, yokes may be may not be totally comfortable, the normal yoke, but they are productive, and certainly ours is by the grace of God. Do you daily commit yourself to pulling with him and obeying his will, pulling in his direction, doing battle as he leads? It's unsafe, very unwise, to think you can deal with any of the three major enemies we have without daily submitting to his will. And then learn from me, he said. We are to grow as disciples. We're continually to be learners, first as willing students of our master, and then secondly, by learning from others uh, in the body of Christ, from mature believers, from parents, elders, friends uh, who love you, who can encourage you as a disciple. You can submit to them too. And do you daily ask the Lord to give you a teachable heart, a heart of a learner, the heart of a disciple? Do you take action in disciplining yourself in the ways which please your master and make you a strong warrior. In our case, just to end, those spiritual disciplines to enable us to battle mostly have to do with four areas. Uh, But before that, I just want to mention on the back table, there is uh, the questions I give you every year, questions to ask, to think about the coming year. Some of those questions, if you really thought about them, I believe if you took action, would be a great blessing in preparing you for battle. But anyway, the four areas I'd like to mention, certainly the intake of the Word of God. We need to hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. Secondly, prayer and fasting. Are you steadfast in this work of the Lord? And again, going to battle without the Word of God in prayer will be ineffectual. You'll, You'll get tired. The third is consistent fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of devotion that I I talked about earlier. Not just going through the motions of spending that time, but of communing with the Lord who loves you so much he died for you. And then consistent fellowship in the body of Christ. Are you committed to that? Are you committed to raising the bar in that, in a sense, this year? And then finally, in witnessing, there are many people who need to hear the invitation to come to Jesus. And so, dear yoke fellows, if you come to him and you draw near to him constantly, if you take or you accept his yoke and work and fight with him and don't pull your own way, 
And if you learn from him how to engage in spiritual battle, the promise here is sure in verse 29. You will find rest for your soul, even as you engage in these spiritual battles. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it amazes us that you would yoke yourself with us. Lord, thank you for allowing us and for calling us to come to you and for the promise of true rest, for rest for our souls. And, oh, Lord, we want to grow as disciples who are teachable and to learn from you and become like you. And, oh, Lord, forgive us for trying to pull another way, as foolish as it is. Lord, fill us with your Spirit and help us to rejoice in our labor with you, to rejoice in defeating our enemies for your glory and for the eternal rewards awaiting us all by your grace. Lord, we have come in the name of our Master and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.